Leadership is an inside job. It's never just about what the leader does, it's also about what they've endured. And though our experiences may be different, they all have something important to teach us about serving others and our communities. The Grateful Leader podcast explores this idea by interviewing successful leaders. We want to know what they've learned from their pain, how it shaped them as leaders, and how they've used those lessons to help others. In our very first episode, we have the gratitude guru himself, Mr. Chris Shembra. Chris is the founder and chief question asker at the 747 Gratitude Experience. And today you'll hear him talk through his own rock bottom experiences. And as a bonus, Hillary and I are able to receive our own gratitude experience. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy, and we're so glad you're here. I will. I, 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 I want this. I want it all. <laughs> um, so what's fun, and we'll kind of do like a formal start whenever, I guess. But what's fun is Kami and I are like young, like early adult BFFs that have never like lived in the same town basically. So, and then I finally, after years of trying to convince her, finally got her to quit her corporate job and come join the firm. So we are, uh, so it's fun for us to get to connect over this. And this is a neat project for us to do together. I had been wanting to do a podcast for a really long time and kind of felt naked doing it alone. Like, what am I going to say that needs to be said. And instead it's like, I just want to have meaningful conversations. Um, so this is fun for us to get to do. We're so happy that you get to do it with us. I'm very excited. I'm extremely excited. Now, do you you remember a woman named Jen Bechter? Oh my God. Yes. She's from Rose Hill, Kansas. And she and I went to college together. What? Yeah. My God, we're going 10 years, nine years back, she was a performer. Yeah. Wow. Uh, tell me more. Is she who originally turned you on to me? No, Louise no. Scott is because um, through Eight Figure Firm, there was a event oh in Atlanta, God. like, I guess it was early last year. You early, you were at that. I was you were at that? Yeah. You were at that. We I talked was... in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, we talked in the okay. kitchen. Okay. Yeah, okay. It was it's a gin and tonic night for you. I don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah, <I remember. laughs> oh my God. Bring the man gin and tonic. Um, so I went back, I posted that I just had this on Facebook or Instagram or wherever that I'd had this wonderful experience with this gratitude guy and described it. And Jen and I had gone to college in 2002 and I was in 42nd street with her in college. Oh yeah. The we were both yeah. musical theater yeah, yeah. majors at the time. I, something to that effect. And she had moved to New York, lived that dream and moved back to Kansas, married an air force guy. I'm married to an air force guy. And so we're just, you know, it's, it's life is crazy. And she's like, this sounds a lot like this guy I knew named Chris in New York city. Is that who mm. happened to be hosting it? And I was like, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like two degrees right now. Jen, <laughs> give, give her my best. I will. She's a, she's a hell of a person. Well, I, hi, Jen, if you're watching this. Yeah. Uh, so much. I fun. feel like I need to go meet Jen. I mean, yeah. she, if she still lives in Rose Hill, it's Jen. approximately seven <laughs> minute drive for me. From you. Yeah. No, it's crazy how small the world is sometimes. So yeah. the fact that the two of you overlapped and yeah, I, I don't know how it Jen happened. Jen Gardner. Like Gardner now. Yes, she is. She's a lover of Christmas. Yes, she is. Oh, gosh. Bring up. Oh, Phoebe Pearl. 
I want to sing the song. It's a small world after yeah, exactly. all. That's just what keeps coming into my head. Right well, now. y'all are the theater. Y'all are the theater people. So be my guest. Be my guest. Be my guest. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Um. So yeah, the update on the content for the podcast. We, uh, yeah, we we had this huge book come out last week. Really, my fault that I didn't send it out to you. You know, the goal of everything we do or everything we're doing in this next chapter, if you looked at us like five years ago, four, four years ago, five years ago, you would have seen like a guy who was really obsessed with like the dinner table and pasta sauce and a little bit of gratitude, right? And that's when I met Seth and Luis. And then the pandemic happened and we moved to virtual. And so we didn't have the dinner table. We didn't have pasta sauce, but we still had gratitude and our message scaled. And then the book came out and now we're really known just for the gratitude and not even the experiences and not even the dinner table. It's like a whole new thing with these huge campaigns and these big brands and all this kind of stuff just centered around the gratitude. So uh, the interesting part is uh, you you pick which part of the journey you know you you bring us to, but leave it up to... Luis and and Seth to always be yanking me back to where I got my start, not where we've you know kind of been and and what the world's been reacting to in the last couple of weeks. So it's a, it's an interesting timing. How did you get connected with Luis and Seth? Because neither of them really hang out in the that I'm aware of kink New York City musical theater scene. Unless unless we're about to we, learn something that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we do. I've been, I've been pulling them. I've been pulling then them. Come on over. It's um, so much I, I think I think Seth has potential. Um, <laughs> no, the um, we met through Michael Mogiel. Uh, Crisp. Uh, do you know the Crisp Group? Uh, yes. Crisp Game Changers Summit and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. Michael and I met around the dinner table at uh, another one of my clients' dinners at. This the way my life works is that right. someone comes to an experience of mine, whether it's big or small, whether it's in person or virtual, and then they bring me to the next people and they bring me to the next people. So the answer to how do I know anybody? Someone's come to my dinner table. Someone's cried at my dinner table. That's all I know. But Michael came to another guy's and then another guy had come to another guy's and that led me back to Moses and the parting of the sea and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There was a burning bush there somewhere. Somewhere. I want to step back and give people, listeners, a frame of reference of what you do. And I mean, we have your book, your your original book, um, Gratitude and Pasta, and mm-hmm. it really gives a step-by-step guide to hosting a gratitude dinner, having an experience like the ones that you facilitate mm-hmm. that I went to in Atlanta and cried at. And mm-hmm. it was a huge breakthrough moment for me because when we were, so I'll, I'll tell a little bit of the tale from my perspective. Cause I, I imagine that you do this. It, I'm sure there, from what you've described in your book, there's a little bit of a formula to it. And then you add the human element and that's always the, the secret mm-hmm. sauce to some extent. But my, my memory of it is we set up the tables. We put the table claws on the tables. We, we got the room ready. And then we sat down to have dinner. And as we were setting things up, everyone was acting like something was going to go on. Like, what are we going to do here? We're all about to get vulnerable and talk. And I had popped off something about like, there's literally nothing that's off limits for me. And I am, I have zero issues being vulnerable. 
And I didn't know that you were the host of the event. I thought that you were one of the other people who were just like at this event with us. And later on, I'm realizing, oh, I think I may have challenged this. I may have, you know, laid down my cards and been like, bring it on accidentally. And one of the, at, at one of the points in the dinner, you ask the magic question and my memory of that question, it's not going to be worded perfectly is essentially who or what in your life do you not give enough gratitude for that you're thankful for? What is the proper formulation of that question? I'll put it in the chat Okay. for all the, for all the visual learners on the call. If you could uh, give credit and thanks to one person in yeah. your life that you don't give credit or thanks enough credit or thanks to who would that be? So if you could give thanks to one person who you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? And for me, it immediately came to mind was when I was in foster care, I went to a hearing and I was represented by appointed counsel who I'd never met. And the person didn't talk to me beforehand, didn't explain to me what was going on. Um, it was the first time I was seeing my parents after having been taken from the home because of a very violent event that was life-threatening. And I was really, really scared. And I remembered standing in the little courthouse in Wellington, Kansas, where it's like a two-story building and looking out the window and thinking, even if I jumped out of this window to try to escape what I'm about to have to go do and see my parents, it wouldn't even kill me. It would just hurt me. Like I, there's nowhere to go, but into this room. And I was led into that courtroom by what I would later learn was my attorney. And he told the judge on my behalf that I was ready to go home, that I wanted to be reunited with my parents. And yes, I know what a bastard. (laughs) But when you ask that question at dinner, it was this flashbulb moment of no wonder I love being an immigration attorney. No wonder I love going to court and representing people who are in sometimes a life-threatening and definitely future-threatening situation. And they need someone to go in and talk on their behalf who's actually going to represent their interest. And if I hadn't had that experience, there's no way as a non-Spanish speaking white girl who's never had any experience with immigration in my immediate family, I would be able to connect with this demographic who I love. Mm-hmm. And that is someone in the, at that dinner. I mean, I could hardly talk and it's very rare for me to get where uh, that deep in the clumped that I can't even speak. So that was my experience of your gratitude dinner and it shaped everything for me after that. So thank you. Thank you for doing what you've done. To get well, it's, it sounds like that experience taught you empathy, right? You actually being able to now understand the feelings and perspectives of who you now serve you had to go through experience you know when you were a child to to understand what they're going through now mm-hmm. and that's a blessing yeah uh to to me you, you can't know gratitude without knowing pain uh you know when people you know we we work with senior leadership teams of the biggest companies on the planet, Microsoft, Google, IBM, Dell, Citibank, SAP, you name it. When I walk in as the gratitude guy, their eyes roll. They're like, we got a hundred billion dollars to figure out right now. And you want to talk about gratitude. And I always have to explain to people, I'm not the fluffy woo woo gratitude guy. 
I'm not the guy who's going to sit here and say, let's be grateful for my health. I'm so grateful (laughs) for the sun. No, it's, it's like, it's not through the good times that you find the most authentic moments of gratitude. It's through the hard times. It's when you look at things that have happened in your past and said, oh my God, that actually gave me a lot of positive benefits that I'm using today to help others. Therefore, I could be grateful for that negative autobiographical experience for my past. Heck yeah. Did it teach me empathy? Yes. Appreciation? Yes. To give me a positive self-view? Yes. Did it somehow give me a material gain? Yes. If you can say yes to a lot of those things, hard times from your past are something to be grateful for. And so what you went through, as hard as it may have been to hear uh, an attorney, uh, a, a public defender, say the polar opposite of what you wanted them to say, it's actually the best thing that could have happened to you. And for that, you should be grateful. Exactly. And it sounds like you were grateful around the dinner table, even if it was the first or hundredth time processing that in small group setting. So thank you for going there. Yeah. It was good stuff. And it has really shaped because for so long, people would ask me, why, why are you an immigration lawyer? Like why immigration? And that would always be, it would be white person to white person. So why immigration? And then like the long pause and I wouldn't really have a good answer. Like I love my country. Um, I love families, you know, all of the things that are true, but really what it came down to was I did that so I can do this. And there's so much more substance to it. And now I don't really feel the need to explain why mm-hmm. immigration. Well, it's, um, are you familiar with the, uh, the hero's journey? Uh, it, there comes a point in time in a person's life when a person starts off in an ordinary world and they receive some kind of calling like leave that ordinary world to go join or, or depart or go be a part of something revolutionary or creative or, or whatever it may be. And so they, they receive the call and they go out and they run into trouble and they mentors appear and they persevere and they get through it. And all of a sudden their journey completes and they come back to their ordinary world with like this journey, this story that's uniquely their own, that they've overcome and uh, they've and the obstacles help create something within them. Where the hero's journey stops, the artist's journey begins. It's when you can come back to that place with some kind of gift, knowledge or wisdom or perspective or art or creativity or whatever, and now give that to the people. And so what you're talking about in your life is you had to go through that thing so that you could bring now this gift to this one population, right? You had to go through your own legal struggles as a child in the system in order to now be a gift and a servant to another population. And that's your gift for the world. That is your art. That is your generosity. That is your service. Um, and, and so in the context of like a narrative arc, you are completing the hero's journey. And this, this is becoming, this is a real thing. Yeah. This so is, amazing. Yeah. I, I have not heard that. I've heard of the hero's journey in like a marketing context, but never described in that way. A hero's faces. What is the book? So no, it's literally called the hero's journey. Yeah. There's like the hero's journey. And I mean, there's like a whole lot of things that like Kurt Vonnegut studied, studied a bunch of stuff about the hero's journey. Uh, There's a guy, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote the book called The Artist's Journey, I think is a wonderful thing 
the wake of the hero's journey and the lifelong pursuit of meaning. I love it. We'll check it out. Definitely pretty good. I said I wanted to take a step back and then I just went full for full force forward. Good. I tell dig me, it. Tell me about what a gratitude dinner looks like. I'm going to give a really broad answer because I'm going I'm to fight going into the details of the dinner. From a broad perspective, people are fighting a great epidemic, a great plague, a great pandemic that is not being talked about. It's not the one you see on the news. It's the loneliness epidemic. The Surgeon General Vivek H. Murthy says that loneliness, I mean, first of all, like 90% of the human race would consider themselves lonely on a daily basis. You don't have to be alone to be lonely, but we feel some kind of deep disconnection within. And if, you know, if you're watching this, you're probably saying, God, I got all the people. I got my kids. I got my husband or wife. I got my job. Maybe I don't have my job. I've got my home. I've got my household. I've got my faith. I've got my religion. But like, do you truly feel like everything's in place just because that life looks great on the outside? Does it really feel good in the heart? You tell me. And if you said no to that, you're not alone. They say that loneliness is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, seven years off your life. And nobody's talking about it because everybody's really geared towards like having a lot of friends on Instagram or Facebook and like posting all the highlights from their life and all these perfect moments and doing the next thing and signing up to be that volunteer for your son's baseball thing or doing this or doing that. And they think that that is like life, but it's caused a lot of disarray. And so when you ask the question, like, what is a gratitude dinner? It's worth noting what we're up against is a whole nation of really lonely, unfulfilled, overwhelmed, disconnected people. So a gratitude dinner, I got to tell you a story about before I tell you what it is. And it starts with my own journey of loneliness back in July of 2015. I mean, if y'all are watching this or listening to this, let me describe myself in 2015. Five foot eight, no job or no college degree, had moved with one suitcase to New York City, somehow uh, ended up living out a dream, running a theater company, traveling around the world, producing Broadway plays, meeting fancy people, putting cash in the bank. Life looked pretty good on paper. It's all you'd ever want, right? Everybody was calling me up saying, hey, I recognize that project you're a part of. You're living the dream, aren't you, buddy? Well, one day I realized just because life looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. I just come back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there. And when I got back to New York City, I realized, damn, this ain't it. You know, Italy really woke me up and I, I won't go into the full details, but it really woke me up to what life could be. Right? La Dolce Vita, these Italians, they, they walk different, talk different, love different, honor history different. And when I got back to America, I said, man, I'm, I'm totally not feeling the way I felt over there. It was the lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, those malevolent feelings. Last time I'd felt all those things at once was in my early 20s. And that, and that led me down a deep, dark path, non-suicidal self-injury, depression, jail, rehab, all these things. So I knew I didn't want to go back. I knew I had to change something immediately, probably why you tuned into this podcast. So I thought back, what was it about Italy that really woke me up? Well, it was food. Specifically, it's how they ate their food amongst community, specifically pasta sauce. So back home in New York City, I started playing around in, uh, in my kitchen. I wanted to recreate the magic of Rome, just had, like so many others had done before me. And 
I accidentally invented a pasta sauce recipe. It, it sounds silly and simple to say, but you've probably tried your hand at tuna salad or maybe pasta or a nice pizza night. You you know that feeling. And so I, I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it's you know even good or not. And I decided to host a dinner party. And at that very first dinner, July 15th, 2015, the rules were simple. Show up on time, 6.30 p.m. sharp with a bottle of wine. And so we drank together and then we worked together to create the meal. And we ate some decent pasta sauce. And then there was like a lull in the conversation. So I asked a question. The question came to me that quick. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what on earth provoked it. It's like I was accessing my super conscious. It's like I knew it, it was fate. It was destiny for me to ask that question. And we went around the table and answered that question one by one. And everybody cried. And I said, holy crap, this question, this pasta sauce, this dinner table thing, I think we're onto something. We probably shouldn't stop. Somewhere along the way, it was starting to have an impact on me and my soul. It was starting to have an impact on the people that were attending. And we made a commitment to never stop doing those things ever again. It's been seven years, met a lot of people, heard a lot of stories, and uh, decided to dedicate the rest of our life to these concepts. Gratitude. A few weeks ago, I'm hosting a, a challenge within the firm for a group of brave souls who will show up every Thursday and try neat things. Kami, we did the gratitude question in that call. What, what was that like for you? Um, you well, I cried and I definitely didn't uh, <laughs> think about waking up on a Thursday and cry in front of my new coworkers. Um, you know, my answer, my answer to the question that you had asked earlier was, you know, I don't give my son enough credit. Um, my son was an unplanned pregnancy. And so, you know, thinking about a little bit more of that, I was, I was definitely at a crossroads in my life to where I was dabbling in some extracurricular substances. And, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, um, I had done a bunch of drugs like two days before. And so it was literally a wake up call for me. And I look back at that time in my life. And I think if I had not gotten pregnant, if I had not been forced to get my act together, where would I be today? Hmm. So I am so thankful and I'm so grateful that my sweet boy, who's now 14, um, joined us. My husband and I have been together for 16 years. And so it was just that kind of kick in the ass to, to move down that path. And so for that, I am so grateful for that unplanned pregnancy. And I'm not sure a lot of people could say that, but I definitely can. <laughs> so grateful for that unplanned pregnancy. It sounds like it inspired a very positive lifestyle change. It did. It did. What's your son's name? Gunner. Gunner. Yes, he's a cool Gunner kid. Gunner the man. Isn't that cool that gratitude doesn't just have to be for people like older than us? or wiser than us than that we've learned from. It can also be to people that are younger than us, or maybe haven't been at this job as long as we have, and you can still learn from them. I mean, imagine a new person coming onto your team, your beautiful firm, and you give gratitude to the newcomer. I mean, imagine how powerful that is 
that is what levels the playing field and puts everybody on the same level. That's the power of gratitude. Hillary, you're, you're tearing up right now. What's coming up for you? I didn't know that Kami was, I mean, so Kami and I met in a strip club. <laughs> we'll just get down to it. We'll just get down to yeah, it. Yeah. Okay, good. We're going there. Here we go. I'm feeling this is going to be our first podcast because it's just going to lay the foundation. So like we're making our own little history here. Um, I was 18. I was 18. You had to be, well, you're just, you were 18. older than me. So you were also, I mean, a whole like six months, seven months. <laughs> and we were going to a small junior college in Southern um, Kansas. And we would cross into Northern Oklahoma where you could go into bars at 18 and we could drink in this strip club. So we would go to this strip club and have a great time. Um, but I somehow, I was a year ahead of did we both you graduated that? early because you're a smarty pants. I don't know. And I didn't even yeah. graduate. I just left. I think they, <laughs> they were like, there's nothing left for you here. You should leave. Um, but soon after that, I met my husband moved to Japan and then started this whole other life. So we had this like crazy, amazing bond fast formed. And then we've never really been in the same area code ever since then. So we would be thousands of miles apart kind of for years at a time and there would be not a beat missed in our relationship so i didn't know until just now that kami was even dabbling and kind of finding herself in some some fun decisions that she was making there Um, because we we just weren't we were close close friends but just life had pulled us apart um, from knowing those basic details so i think about what would life be like um, if Kami had, if like, I can't imagine life without Gunner because Gunner yeah. is so amazing. And I can't imagine life if, if Gunner hadn't really solidified Kami's marriage with Chris, because I love Chris and I'm, I'm team Chris and Kami forever. Thank um, you. But I didn't know that any of that other stuff was going on. So when she shared it with our coworker, she shared a much different, uh, more office friendly version of the fact. <laughs> well, I'm so. sure they're all going to hear it now. So, <laughs> and, and now that you understand a little bit more context behind her gratitude, um, and the tough times that she had to go through to get to where she is today, how do you feel now about you and Kami's relationship? I think that. Kami, I've always wondered where she got a lot of her empathy for drug and alcohol abuse because Kami's always seemed pretty squeaky clean to me. I mean, always, I mean, you meet in a strip club and how squeaky clean, you know, like my, you know, whatever, not a prude. Um, But I know in her personal life with relationships that she has, there's been a journey of helping loved ones overcome and loved ones, plural, overcome drug and alcohol problems. And then she's loved me through a season where I'm, I'm a year and some odd months now sober. And there was a lot of time where she held space for me, even though I didn't know I needed the space to be held. And now I can understand where she gets that empathy from. So if you had to give her gratitude right now, as if she wasn't on this call with us here today, what would you say to her right now? I would say that I don't give Kami enough credit for the unconditional love, which with she has always given me. 
Love you, sis. I love you too. Gosh, darn it, Chris. Whose podcast is this anyway? (laughs) He's so good. I love it. So Chris, do you ever get tired of this? We'll get to that in a sec. It's like chocolate cake. If I ate chocolate cake or Mexican food, oh my God, I could eat Mexican food all the time. But if I ate Mexican food for every meal, would I get tired of it? We'll get to that in a sec. Okay. What I want to acknowledge what y'all just did is... And, and, and to all our listeners and hopefully watchers, because they need to see the video of this somehow, <laughs> but um, the the emotion is so uh, palpable on this screen that I must quote the great Maya Angelou, poet, artist, activist, Nobel laureate. And she says that people don't remember what you did or what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And the two of you just shared a moment in time in which you felt something together. Now, this will far outlast any of the actions uh, that, that you, you did or said uh, that didn't have feeling you know, attached to them. And so if you're listening to this, I want you to take a, a, a fearless and searching moral inventory. How often do you let others experience this type of emotion with you? How often in your life do you lead the conversation that becomes emotional? Or how often do you let others lead a conversation that makes you emotional? The odds are those occurrences are probably low. And and I want to put a stop to that because we've got a lot of people running around that don't get to say what they actually feel in life, whether it's they don't get to say to themselves authentically how they're doing. And if someone actually asks them, how are you? You'll likely give a lie. Hey, I'm fine. I'm good. Cool. No. If you take 10 minutes to share an emotion with someone else, just like this, it can save your life, right? We're talking to, there's three addicts on this call. And I want to quote a TED Talk by the great Johan Hari. In the TED Talk, he says, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's deep human connection. And that's what we're doing right here, right now. And if you're tuning in, you're understanding that this could be done free, easy, immediate, with great impact. Gratitude of what you just practiced is the most perfect way that we like to practice, that we like to teach gratitude in our uh, world. We don't like to teach the self-reflective version of gratitude where like you write down things you're grateful for and you put it in the journal and you put that journal on the bedside table. If you got a gratitude journal and you're listening to this, I don't mean to poo-poo your journal, but just hear me out for a sec. Gratitude. When not practiced as some obligatory thing that you're mandated to do every morning you wake up, but gratitude when practiced in a pro-social way, when it's authentically felt, even if in frequencies few and far between, that's the true meaning of gratitude. We just practice gratitude in a small group setting, in a pro-social way. Gratitude is beneficial three ways of which we just did. It felt good to give. Both of them just gave gratitude. It felt good to receive, right? One of us received gratitude on this call and it felt good to observe. You asked, do I get tired of doing this, of witnessing this or ask whatever the chocolate cake thingy? No, because from my point of view, I got to observe something that's beneficial for me. Sarah Algoe out of the University of North Carolina did a 102-page research study called The Witnessing Effect. And she found that in a group setting, just someone observing actions of gratitude 
is beneficial for the observer, not not even alone just the participants, but just the observer, the third party. And so that will continue to have a genuine effect on me if I am genuinely present for the benefit. Therein lies the greatest screw up of them all. How often do we let ourselves receive the benefits from those around us? Right? The benefit I receive from the two of you of which I'm grateful for in this moment is watching you two practice gratitude. Ooh, that's a benefit that helps my soul. But as the poet Mary Oliver once said, attention is the first step to devotion. How can we experience anything we're not truly experiencing? So if you're just going through the motions and you're not actually aware and present to the world around you, you can't receive the benefits that others are trying to give you. Some call it a defense against intimacy. Some people are just freaking checked out. So do I tire of doing this work only when I'm not physically present? Does it feel like a chore? But when I'm physically present, I get the benefits. I got science on my side. I have a question, Chris. So, Please. you know, looking you up as a human being, you're not do you not have an Instagram or a Facebook? And is that on purpose? Is that part of your, you know, wanting to, to stay connected on a human level versus, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, putting a facade on for everybody or uh, are your accounts just private? So people like, no, just no, they're, you up? <laughs> no, they're very, I, I think we've got about 80,000 followers across the portfolio of LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, we're out there. Um, one would assume that I, I shouldn't have a social media handle because uh, in, in the very first play I ever produced here in New York City, which I believe Jen might have even been like, like maybe as like a bartender one night, just we like pulled people and friends in from everywhere. And she was the dear friend at the time. So I was like, here, help me out with a coat check or like, I don't know, something. Love her. But uh, it was a play about Fiorella LaGuardia, the former mayor of New York City. And in the play, Fiorella LaGuardia is standing up on stage, holding a picture of his two kids, Eric and Jean. And he looks at the picture and says, kids, don't worry about people knowing you make yourself worth knowing. Under that guise, you're right. I shouldn't have social media. I shouldn't worry about people knowing me. I should let my work speak for myself. But you know what? I'm the biggest hypocrite out there. And what drives me to the depths of my own despair is worrying about people knowing me. I'm a crock of shit. Isn't everybody and on a level though? That's what. That's the cool part. Once you realize that the world is an imperfect place and we are filled with our own hypocrisy, insecurities, anxieties, and negative autobiographical experiences. Once you can acknowledge that, you actually can find connection and you can actually release a bunch of pressure. There's a book called The Universe Doesn't Give a Flying Fuck About You. And in it, they talk about this cosmic insignificance therapy where like, Instead of thinking like, I'm special and I'm big and I'm bold and I can do everything. I, nobody's ever done what I've done. There's a lot of freaking like pressure on trying to be that unique butterfly snowflake. Whereas if we can like flip that and be like, nothing's really original. The world's seen this shit a million times. 
I'm just one of 7 billion people and I have more in common with you than we have differences. I'm just a cog in the wheel. There's something freeing about that finitude, that finiteness. Like there's something freeing in that small, humble connection. Do you think that comes from age? Because I I would gather that we're probably all in the same category. And when we look at maybe generations younger than us, we see that a lot, that that we're really, I don't want to say they, because I don't want to go there, but (laughs) there is a difference. There's a difference in what people are putting out there. Um, I have always said, I'll quote Pretty Ricky when he says that age ain't nothing but a number. Almost just spit out my drink. (laughs) Age ain't nothing but a number. Um, It's not age, but it's one's ability to honestly understand that the condition of which your life is is not too dissimilar from the condition that someone else's life is, which is not too dissimilar from how life was 2,000 years ago. What that is is empathy. What that is, is genuine connection. I say that because I've seen four-year-old kids on Skid Row practice this, and I've seen 99-year-old women practice this. In my work, I've had the ability to study people for a long time, a lot of people. And what I found is that we all have the capacity to develop this type of intelligence, this emotional intelligence the ability to understand yourself and the ability to understand others. So I, I can't say it's an age thing. I can't say it's a geography thing. I can't say it's a demographic. I have proof of data that each end of that spectrum is capable of this wisdom. It's very simple wisdom, by the way, very easy to access. For me, when I, when I do access gratitude, in empathy and reap the benefit of it. That is the space. Like there's, I think that receiving and giving gratitude clears like an artery. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Oh, no, no. There's literally a UC Davis study that proves it's actually great for heart health and the reduction of stress and cortisol levels and all this. Oh yeah. There's a whole chapter in our newest book called hope into healing. I did not know that, but I, I feel it. Maybe I'm more connected to the arteries in my heart than I realized, but (laughs) you feel it. And it's been something that's so beneficial. I've hosted a couple of gratitude dinners at my home. I love, I mean, it, it has been the easiest way for me to connect with my parents. When I have them over for dinner, we don't have to worry about having conversations about politics or the weather or anything else. Yeah. Just talk about we do our gratitude stuff and the the coolest gratitude dinner that I've hosted so far was um, right before mother's day. A lot of the women in my, in my firm were having some interpersonal conflict and I wanted to have them all over because each of them has a unique relationship with the concept of motherhood and mothers in their life and the absence of mothers in their life. And then on top of that, they were all kind of fighting. They called it, they were beefing. I don't know. We had a gratitude dinner and the interpersonal conflict has completely dissolved. There was oh, yeah. nothing left. It completely cleared the artery. So there's, yeah, there's, there, there's a couple chapters of our book 
about that exact thing, let me tell you the three-part thing of what you just said. So you said that when there's conflict and you introduce gratitude, the shit goes away. That's actually like scientifically proven. So what happens is at the heart of every conflict, there are likely two opposing forces who are both entitled beyond their wildest imagination. So entitled that they can't ever understand what you're talking about. See, entitlement for this context flares up in two ways in the midst of conflict. There is the first type of entitlement, which is that I feel I'm superior to you and your beliefs. And therefore, like, I'm right, you're wrong. I'll never listen to you because you're dumb and I'm smart and you're short and I'm tall and this and that. Like, that's conflict, right? That's entitlement. And that's really annoying to be around that type of person. Well, the opposite is true as well. My shit stinks bigger than your shit. I've been through more trauma than you've been through. I deserve special treatment. Victim mindset is a form of entitlement. So the heart of conflict is, is really rooted by those, those two forms of entitlement. It's, it's high in ego. It's high in individualism. It's high in narcissism. It's low in empathy. It's low in compassion. It's low in understanding. It's low in humility. So what is something that you can do that is the opposite of entitlement? What can you do to limit entitlement? Gratitude. Because gratitude forces you to acknowledge that you've received value from others, not just yourself. Turn off the narcissism for a sec. Acknowledge that your third grade teacher or someone who you were politically opposed to or someone that you hated or someone that you love somehow did a benefit for you. That teaches humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less often. That creates a posture of otherness. That makes you more receptive and willing to actually listen to others. Now, gratitude, entitlement, conflict, what we teach people to do is literally think of people that you're in conflict with. Let's say you're in conflict with your sister. You're a Democrat. She's a Republican or a, a Republican Democrat, whatever. You're, you're Jewish. They're Arab, whatever. You're tall. They're short. You're black. They're white. It's literally ubiquitous to any conflict. But let's say that you're in conflict and disagreement for like two things in your life, but you're in agreement for like 190 things in your life. If you go up to that person and like holistically, authentically give gratitude to a really meaningful, positive, life-affirming thing they've met in your life, it will feel good for you to have given that. It will feel good for them to have received that. And that will help de-stress everything about the relationship so that you can have a potentially civil, with the right training, civil conversation about whatever you're in disagreement with. It's a super simple. Life with people that you disagree with is not about changing them. It's about changing the way you show up in relation to them because yourself is the only person you can control. And to have a grateful mindset means you're walking into the conversation with a little bit less anxious and angry energy in relation to them. How does this impact you when you are in disagreement with a significant other? Because I imagine, I imagine that it is still sometimes hard to practice. 
Oh, super hard to practice. Oh my God. So hard to practice. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it all. It's like a journey. Like there's no end, like finite, like, Hey, we've reached the pinnacle of perfection and just the realization that we're going to be imperfect in our interrelational communications is in itself a stress release. Hey, honey, I know we studied this two weeks ago, but I just fucked up. And I know I like stepped over some boundaries because I said I used the wrong tactic. Can we like start over and like maybe take a pause? Um, yeah, that's that happens all the time. Let me tell you a story. If you looked at my life in 2021, did we meet in 2021 or 2022? I think it was in late 2021. 2021. Boy, I had a great life, didn't I? I probably, you looked at me up on that thing. And, wow, look at this kid. Fuck yeah. Woohoo. You looked at my life in 2021. I say that like a douchebag on purpose. If you looked at my life in 2021, you'd all want what I had a partner, a home, a business, a family, uh, accolades, positive testimonials, glowing reviews, watching people impacted before my eyes. And that was you know, rushing into Q4 of 2021. Like I was on top of the world. Life looked great on paper. And, and one day, Thursday, December 30th, 2021, uh, at about 4.30 PM, my, I was on a, a Zoom call with a client of mine, Lisa Penn from SAP. And she said, uh, we, we were chatting about the, the great, the scale we were going to do through SAP the next year. Woohoo! But she looked at me halfway through the call and she said, Chris, you don't look too hot. Do you want to end our Zoom call early and you can go meditate? I said, sure. Uh, I was a little embarrassed. Nobody, no client has ever said I wasn't rising up to the occasion, right? So I turned off the screen and I went to meditate. I went into Molly and you know we had just bought a home. She just got a new job. So we were going out to dinner that night to celebrate. And, and then she was going to fly home on New Year's Eve to go see her, her family. So we go out to dinner, me and Molly. I'm in this like weird headspace. And we go to Lure Fish Bar in Soho, Manhattan. And you know, we sit down at the bar and people start buying us drinks. People like buying us drinks at bars for some reason in the middle of dinner. And uh, we're talking to these people and these people and this people. And I open up my mouth and I say some stupid flirty thing to one person. I meant it in a non-flirty way. Molly heard it in a flirty way. Therefore, an argument begins. I get home after a long cab ride, uh, and I feel like the biggest piece of crap on the face of the planet. I feel like a fraud, an imposter, an abuser, a monster, a manipulator, a degenerate, all the wrong things. And I go into the kitchen, and I pull out a kitchen knife, and I go, shabam. And for those of you who aren't watching this video, only listening via audio, I brought the knife right across my wrist. I say that bluntly. We'll have to put a warning on this episode, but I want to let you know, I didn't want to end my life. It wasn't a suicidal attempt. It was a cry out for help, a yell of pain. They call it non-suicidal self-injury. If you know people in your immediate network or on your cul-de-sac or in your phone book, who are cutters or burners or self-mutilators, self-injurers, self-harmers, whatever. It's called non-suicidal self-injury. And I, luckily I missed the main artery. Well, the cut went over the main artery, but luckily the deepest part of the cut was in the part 
that wasn't the main artery. It just went right through the muscle. And uh, that's why I'm still here today. We clean up the wound. We go to bed. Molly wakes up the next morning at 6 a.m. and heads off to Detroit, leaving me home alone with a fresh wound ringing in the new year. And I just cried like forever. I'd walk around the city. I'd, I'd, I'd look at a, I'd watch a Nancy Myers movie. It'd make me cry. I'd, I'd drink some water. It'd make me cry. And I called my best friend, Scott, one day and said, Scott, why did I do this? What's wrong with me? He said, I don't think anything's wrong with you, man. You just got so many good things going on in your life. You couldn't see the clearing through the forest. I said, what? He said, yeah, man, you're just not grateful for any of it. And I realized there and there in that moment that I was just the most recent victim of ingratitude. And I remembered that some people 2000 years ago, Seneca the Elder, Lucius Annius Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, I mean, they literally called ingratitude the greatest vice in the Roman Empire. He literally said the greatest plague of today's society is that we neither know how to give nor receive a benefit, and nothing is more common than ingratitude. And they said that ingratitude, the ungrateful man, is what's caused all homicides and tyrants and thievery and like the worst types of humanity. Now, why do I tell that story? To go back to the original point a few minutes ago that in life, you can have 99 things going right in relation to yourself or in relation to someone you're in conflict with. But instead of appreciating those things going right and helping them go right, you focus on the two things going wrong and that consumes your soul. That's ingratitude. The opposite of that is to appreciate the actual things going right in your life and leave some space, effort, and attention to really focus on fixing the things that are broken. So the difference between gratitude and ingratitude is not uprooting your entire life and not hanging out with the people you're in conflict with or divorcing your husband or kicking your kids to the curb. Like it requires nothing change in your life. It just change requires a shift in perspective. So any conflict that you're in, in the history of the world can be solved in a shift of perspective, but it has to start with yourself. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. When I think about, I mean, our, our, our country's in a great state of conflict. I was scrolling through something last night on my iPhone, like the, the news app, and one of the things was like the, the front part, I think it's the bow of two ships. One was red and one was blue. And it said, mm-hmm. have we moved apart forever as a country? Like, are we officially like, ha- have we moved so far apart that we'll never be whole again? We're, we're separated. And I think about conflict like that and it can feel very hard to see the 99 things that I have in common with other people when the one thing that I do not have in common with them is so significant and we Mm -hmm. keep circling around this problem. And so I feel like the universe is going to keep sending us more ways to solve it until we do. I, I do. I do wonder what your thoughts are on that though. Totally. When George Floyd passed away in June of 2020, I was brought into a group of black vice presidents in a large fortune 50 company. And we were going to do a virtual gratitude experience. 
And they didn't know who was going to show up to be the facilitator, a white guy in a room of 75 black VPs. And I had to stand up there and say, you're probably saying, how the hell are we supposed to find gratitude in a time like this, even uh, especially from a white guy sitting in a bubble, an air-conditioned bubble in his backyard in the middle of New York City? But what we helped them do was understand that finding gratitude through the greatest periods of strife and conflict is actually what helps heal broken relationships. It's what actually helps bring people together. To find the positive benefits against all odds is doing a very morally courageous and righteous thing. And so if someone across the aisle from you can do the same thing that you can do against all odds, that is actually a bond that's linked forever. Viktor Frankl writes about it in Man's Search for Meaning. Sebastian Junger writes about it in his book called Tribe. When people have conflict, that's the opportunity to find connection. Because when you can find the people who are willing to rise above the conflict in like a morally like courageous way, that is a brighter light than people rising above, you know, good times to find connection. Like when people, when people rise up, like the two people on this call, if you do the hard work and actually find meaningful moments of connection with people you're polar opposite opposed to on this issue right now, and they rise up as well, and you find things in common, it will inspire the rest of the people to want to rise up to that. And only if you have leaders like this in movements that get past it and lead with empathy and service, then the rest will follow. But you can only work on doing that yourself and hoping that they'll follow. I had this imagery in my mind of like skinheads and black leaders, kind of like almost a civil rights movement dinner in my mind of what that would look like and how beautiful that would be. We we just literally did a virtual gratitude experience, half Ukrainian, half Russian. Mm. It's gorgeous. We all cried. We all gave gratitude to our grandmother or third grade teacher. That's the power of gratitude is that it helps you find things in common. You know, if I ask people this gratitude question, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? There's only like 30 different characters that you could ever say in your life. It's like stranger or someone you know, someone who's alive or someone who's not alive. It's someone who hurt you or someone who helped you. Someone who's still in your life, someone from your childhood, someone who is like older than you, younger than you, someone that's sitting next to you, someone that's far apart. Like there's only so many combinations of people. The stories are different, but the characters are the same, right? William Chaucer, his like Canterbury Tales, Knights of the Round Table, like the 12 people he'd want around his table during like old England, blah, blah, blah. Like I won't even get into the story, but like there's only 12 characters in that, in that book with a universal appeal for a reason. We can all relate to one of those 12 characters. And that's something that like a Ukrainian has a mother and a Russian has a mother. Let's give gratitude to them, whether they hurt you or helped you, loved you, or left you out in the cold. Those are stories that create connection. Mm-hmm. So it's, look, it's doable, but, but in order to, to, to heal, like resolve conflict, it doesn't start by changing the other person's beliefs. It starts by making your heart at peace and 
changing how you show up to interrelate with them. Oftentimes in conflict, the group that's the oppressor, the group that's the oppressed then rises up and becomes the oppressor. And the group that was the oppressor then becomes the oppressed. So then they have to rise up and become the oppressor. So it's just one of these things. In any conflict in the history of the world, it's that simple. I'm sitting here at a fence and across from me are people who believe in the opposite things of what I believe in. I don't think it was them who hurt me in this conflict, but I'm going to hurt them because they're associated with things that not them did. How does that solve anything? Nothing. Nothing. Where can we find your latest book? I can't wait to read it because the, the, the Gratitude Impasta, Gratitude Impasta is your first book. And I feel like oh. it's really a great guide. It's, it's short, sweet, and totally peppered with great data and all the way down to the recommended number of people who you suggest inviting and the table seating arrangement and the things that they should have. Like this really is the guide to making this part of your life. And it has been super helpful for me. Where can we find your next book? For those listening, we wrote this first book, Gratitude and Pasta. Um, Wrote it in 2019, launched in 2020. And then the pandemic happened. And, you know, we were sitting there launching a book about how to host an in-person dinner. And so the pandemic kind of rendered that book obsolete. Um, yeah, thousands of people have bought the book or whatever, but like it was pretty obsolete for a long period of time. And so we made the pivot to bringing people together virtually. So the principles that you kind of read about in Gratitude and Pasta, we then brought those online and ended up bringing together a great deal of people um, across hundreds of events, tons of great companies through the pandemic virtually. And along the way, what we had intuitively known about gratitude that we got to write about in Gratitude and Pasta, then we started backing it up with research and science and psychology and philosophy. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, we hired a research team to just make us like like chock full of like the science behind this gratitude thing. And then we got to write about that for the second book. So the first book is guided by intuition. It'll teach you how to host your own 18-person dinner and make everybody cry and like spend less than $100 doing it. Um, and then the second book is doesn't talk about the dinner table at all. Um, there is no true like attendee journey. You won't like read this book, and by the end of the book, you're going to like host your own dinner. Um, the second book is filled with uh, science, psychology, ancient philosophy, meaningful stories to teach you our super unique yet powerful version of gratitude, uh, how gratitude limits entitlement, how it fuels hope and healing, how it is the secret sauce to overcoming really tough times in your life. It's literally called gratitude through hard times, finding positive benefits through our darkest hour. Um, it launched on June 21st of this year to luckily pretty, pretty good acclaim. We hit uh, number one on the Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller list. We were the number four book in all of Barnes & Noble. Uh, we hit the USA Today uh, bestseller list. We hit 
you know, all the top things that we wanted to hit. And so, you know, I think that you'll join a, a wonderful growing community of people who don't see gratitude as this like woo woo positive spiritual thing, but actually see gratitude as the tool to help you overcome your obstacles and not ignore your obstacles, but literally like use them as part of the tool to get ahead. Like the stories that we heard here today of these two great women using their adversity to then build a wonderful business, recommit into a relationship and, and raise a, an amazing son. And uh, it'll do the same in your life, guaranteed. Chris, I have one more question. Today, we talked about like some pretty profound and, and really big instances of gratitude. And I know you found gratitude in a small thing, um, peanut butter. <laughs> Do you have a favorite brand of peanut butter? Are you now a peanut butter snob? Um, <clears throat> uh, did you read the Rolling Stone article? I did. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the story behind the peanut butter, well, I won't say the story behind the peanut butter to all the listeners. I will say one of the great privileges we have in life is running a very popular column for uh, Rolling Stone magazine. And we get to write about things like peanut butter. And it's um, very fun. But um, to answer your question, we would make the peanut butter at, um, oh yeah, peanut butter's in the book. Oh yeah, peanut butter was part of the, wow. I don't think I've ever looped the peanut butter from um, rehab to the peanut butter around the dinner table. Peanut butter is delicious. Good on you. So uh, for those that are listening, when I was in my first rehab, um, you know, they, they stripped me down to my skivvies, skivvies, um, and, uh, just left me with my necklace, my St. Christopher gold chain. And they gave us uh pants and shirt and shoes and all these things. And they put us in a bus and, you know, shoved us out into the woods for a couple months. And so, you know, you're, you're reduced to someone else's clothes. You're reduced to, um, the idea of getting from point A to point B um, between now and Saturday um, due to the sheer fact that that's where the food will be re-rationed on Saturday. So you need to get there or you don't eat. Um, very simple things in life. And one of the things we got every Saturday was a jar of peanut butter. And we, I had to make it last for a whole week. And so we would sit around the campfire or you know, gaze off into the into the canyons in Utah and, and, you know, talk about our, our dreams and our goals or whatever we were going to do when we left this rehab. And what I developed was a true love of peanut butter because it was the one thing in life I could actually control on a consistent basis and, and like make last, I'd have to ration it. And, um, and then fast forward at our dinner parties and you'll see in our book, gratitude and pasta, we were known for our pasta sauce, as I mentioned in the story. Yet somehow at every dinner, I would make people make peanut butter together. Peanut butter and pasta don't go together. So it's completely freaking random, although not so random if you look at the two stories. Um, my favorite brand would be like Whole Foods Crunchy um, or Trader Joe's Crunchy Peanut Butter. So you're a um, crunchy fan, huh? I'm a crunchy fan. All right. <laughs> um it, it would be one of those great equalizers. I remember one time we pulled into town on uh, Monday, April 3rd, 
Monday, April 4th, Monday, April 3rd, 2016, into Santa Barbara, California. And the way our dinners would work is we'd all work together to create the meal. But like that would range in things like you stir the pasta sauce, you set the table, you fold the napkins, you, you know, whatever. Now, one of the tasks was making peanut butter. And one of the greatest things that happened that night is we had Sylvia Acevedo, dear friend of mine, uh, CEO of the Girl Scouts, rocket scientist on Voyager's Jupiter's uh, Voyager's mission to Jupiter's moons, um, sits on the board of Comcast and Apple and all these great things. She was making peanut butter that night with uh, the great Barry Morrow, who won the Academy Award for writing Rain Man. And to see the two of them, polar opposite minds, right? One's a scientist, one's a writer, connect in such a deep way over them making peanut butter together and, and forging a lifelong relationship. That's the power of peanut butter in my life. And so, you know, when we mention peanut butter on this podcast, it's not so laughable. It's brought together a lot of really, really neat people, CEOs and interns making peanut butter together squashing the hierarchy kind of thing. It's fun. I'm kind of low key obsessed with peanut butter sandwiches. So, um, this is totally, this is a uh, very, is a very thing. fitting. Yeah. Chris, it has been such a pleasure to visit with you and connect with you. And I can't wait for, um, my Amazon order of your book to come. And so I can uh-huh. eat it as well. And it can live on my shelf where I keep I'm, my body's in front of it on video, but I have like a stack of books that are like my go-tos. They're not as robust as yours, but I have a small stack of books that are my go-tos and your book lives there because I routinely go to it. And I passed around your pasta sauce at many a dinner party because it has a ah, question on it. So yeah, it yeah, around, yeah. It's like, you know, it's your turn now, the pasta jar. Yeah. Is in front of you. Oh man. So, you have the conch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we're just, it, it has been a wonderful um, a wonderful hour with you. I'm very grateful for your time. Thanks for having me on. I love that y'all are doing this. You're such great question askers and, uh, you got a mischievous spirit behind the podcast and I'm excited for you to let that out in a really wonderful and empowering way because we all need a little bit of mischief and, and play and pushing the boundaries in our lives. And when we can do that, we get permission to be ourselves and we can, when we can be ourselves, uh, solves a lot of the world's issues. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much, Chris, Amy. It's been a wonderful episode of The Grateful Leader and I can't wait to do more. Wow. What an amazing experience Kami and I had working with Chris. It really is amazing. I hope this is illustrative, not only for what we can do and tap into in our own personal lives, really in an instant, because we can always tap into the energy of gratitude But it's this type of experience that we seek to bring you through this podcast. We're going to talk to people from all walks of life, whether they are, I mean, that that says it all. I don't need to explain more. All walks of life. Leadership shows up in every single one of us in different ways and in the different paths and platforms that we have. As a mom, my platform with my kids in being a leader is showing up for them and doing things that inspire them to believe that they can be bigger than 
whatever, you know, maybe their teacher is telling them or some, some classmate someday tells them someday, I have to at home instill in them the belief that they can be anything they want to be. And yes, that takes hard work. And yes, there are hard things, but we can be grateful every single step of the way, even for the hard stuff, because it prepares us to go all the way, to go the distance. And in my, in my role as a leader, as a spouse, I get to do the same thing. And as a, as a leader within my company where we have, you know, over a hundred people who work at New Frontier Immigration Law, I have to show up as a leader in that capacity as well. And I get to do it because I have gratitude. Um, so that is our goal with this podcast. You got a sneak piece, a little, a little taste. Um, I know like when I go to the mall, I love to get the little sampler. Um, you know, Chinese restaurants are really great about that. They give you a little sampler and you're like, oh, I totally want more of this. I hope that this was a little sample for you. Maybe it's Costco for you. You love the samples at Costco and you go buy more. My hope is that you will come back and consume more, that we've given you a taste of something that has made you and your body feel good, that's something different and um, is something that is, it gives more life to you. And if that's the case, I ask, please, you know, follow us, leave us a review. But the greatest compliment in, in, in the greatest gift would be to join in us with injecting gratitude and, and appreciation for the important struggle, the importance really of struggle in leadership by sharing our podcast with a friend, sharing our podcast with a friend. We are two Kansas girls who are on a mission to inject gratitude into your life because you are a leader, you are important, your life matters, and we hope that you will join us by sharing this podcast and by coming back for more. Thank you. We love you. And we're grateful for you.